Welcome to Getting Legal With It, a podcast for Colorado young lawyers by Colorado young lawyers. I'm your host, Kevin Chain. For those listening to us for the first time, I'm a personal injury and criminal defense lawyer here in Colorado. I graduated from the University of Colorado Law School in 2014 and founded my practice, Chaney Galuzzi and Howard LLC, a short time later. I'm a member of the Colorado Trial Lawyers Association, where I'm its co-chair of its new lawyers division, and I also serve on its executive and legislative committees. I'm also a member of the Colorado Criminal Defense Bar Association. And finally, I serve on the executive council of the Colorado Bar Association Young Lawyers Division. If you're interested in learning more about any of these wonderful organizations, please feel free to shoot me an email at kevin at cghlawfirm.com. Today is our fourth episode of Getting Legal With It. This podcast is created and sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you bi-weekly episodes with information that is both fun and informative for young lawyers and law students. We have some awesome guests lined up and we are just getting started. Finally, if you like our podcast, please, please, please leave us a review and tell your colleagues. And with that, let's jump right in. I'm really happy to welcome to the podcast our guest today. Uh, he's one of my good friends and a, and a great, I think going to be a great future young lawyer, um, Johnny Wynn. Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm surviving quarantine, so uh, no complaints. No complaints. Johnny, why don't we start off? Why don't you tell the listeners um, a little bit about yourself, uh, where are you from, and kind of what was your path to law school? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in Denver. Uh, I love the city and I don't ever want to leave it. Um, uh, I went to undergrad back in uh, uh, University of Colorado, Denver, and now I'm at law school at the University of Colorado Law School. So I'm hoping to be a, a double CU grad. Um, and, and I guess uh, a little bit about me, you know, I, I love to go fishing. I love playing basketball and I really love being around friends, so around a strong supportive community. Um, and, and I want to... Um, I think being from Denver, you know, I think about how important it is to have a strong life balance with work as well. And I think that's something I really strive to be about. And so I I just love being around people and making good friends. Awesome. I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your decision to go to law school and become a lawyer. Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer or was that something you discovered while you were in college or tell us a little bit about that? Um, so I actually always wanted to be a doctor for a while. And I think like most good Asian sons, uh, I always wanted to make my parents happy. <laughs> they wanted me to go to medical school. Um, but it wasn't until, um, my freshman year of college where I was advised that, you know, to get into medical school, you have to do, you have to be, you have to have a lot more than just a good grade point average and good MCAT score. You also have to do something on your resume that shows you're a community person. And so my freshman year, I got involved on a political campaign uh, for, uh, it was a candidate running for Denver district attorney. And I did that just because I was always interested in politics, but never really done anything in it. Um, And during that campaign, uh, you know, my candidate was, uh, his whole platform was about criminal justice reform um, and access to justice in our legal system. And as I followed him around on campaigns, talked to people, uh, and learn so much more about other communities outside of my own. You know, I just got so inspired by uh, the law and politics. And, 
and that really influenced me to make a full pivot and go over to to the legal side and, and become a pre-law student and then decide to apply to law school. Um, and, and so, but and what really inspired me on that end was just really seeing the impact the law has made and how much it's played in my life without me even recognizing it. Um, and it's just been so impactful and I can't wait to be able to speak the language of the law and uh, be able to apply it. You know, I, I, I really like something that you just said that, you know, you, you came to realize how impactful the law was on your life, even without realizing it. Um, can you give us some examples of, of kind of what that means to you? Uh, cause I think that's really important for a lot of people to think about. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a first generation student. I'm first in my family to graduate from high school, college and law school, or, or I haven't graduated from law school yet, but I'm first in my family to go to law school. Um, my, both my parents, they immigrated to the United States uh, from Vietnam after the Vietnam War. Um, and they took refuge in Malaysia just a couple years after the war ended. Um, and I guess it's always been a part of my life because my family has gone through so many difficulties, uh, dealing with paperwork, immigration, healthcare. Um, and ever since I was able to speak English, I was helping them translate essentially. Uh, I remember being in, when I was just like 12 years old, I got pulled out of class because my parents needed me to go to the hospital with them to translate a lot of the medical stuff with their doctor. And so as a young kid, I took on a lot of adult responsibilities that involved a lot of contracts, a lot of, uh, paperwork. And I realized in doing so, you know, the law itself is really a language on its own. And then there was a lot of other laws and policies like a lot of union and labor laws that my parents had to uh, face, you know, back then in the nineties, there wasn't that much strong, uh, uh, labor rights laws. And so there was a time where my parents, they're working in factories and then they ended up removing all the chairs inside of where they were working to shove in 50 more tables to f squeeze in all these more workers. And my parents ended up having to stand about 10 hours a day doing factory work as, as opposed to sitting. I was just, just my parents coming home after such a long day of work, tell me about these things really show me, you know, how impactful it would be. If there was just laws out there, people who create laws or stand up for laws that would help protect people like my parents. And, and just, just all the circumstances I grew up around, you know, the law could just change so much for my parents. And I think about um, when, when I was in college, I became a legislative aide for one of the state representatives, which is how I met you actually, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> um, it is. We were there down, uh, down at the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I focused a lot on education laws because uh, being a first generation student, that was what I was really passionate about. But, you know, being at the Capitol, you see how, what, all these other laws that are being passed, you know, laws are outside of my own community. And, and you just see the impact that was made and you see the direct impact. Uh, one of the legislation that I was working on was um, um, the menstrual, uh, removing taxes on menstrual products. And this was a big push for women's rights in that, you know, menstrual products like pads and tampons, these are essentials for women, but they're being taxed so heavily for it. Um, and just seeing that change uh, hopefully go through, you know, it, it was just really impactful. So, yeah. You know, man, I've, I've heard your, your kind of your story before, but, you know, each time you tell it, it's really just really fascinating, you know, everything that your parents went through and, and, and kind of had to overcome. It's just a fascinating um, story. Before we kind of turn a little bit into law school, um, do you have any advice? I know most of the people listening to this podcast are probably going to be lawyers or, or young or, or law students, but um, in case we have any pre-law or, or undergrads uh, checking us out, do you have any advice 
for people who are currently in undergrad and are considering law school as far as you know things they can be doing or things that they may want to consider um, or any really advice for for some of our younger listeners yeah i think um the most important advice i have for undergrads is to go seek mentorship um i wouldn't at all be where i was if i wasn't asking 500 people a day for help <laughs> um and it's it's really important and i have i have like a group of main mentors and then i have a group of people who i ask for certain things and it's not about one thing I learned um, that's really important is, you know, when you enter the profession, people are always telling you to network, 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 which I actually really disagree with. I think when you have that concept, you know, you're trying to build relationships for disingenuous, self-serving reasons. And I think the really important thing to do is just build relationships with people and don't be afraid to ask for help and advice and also offer and get to know people. Um, and in turn, like you'll, you'll just create a better community for you and them. Right. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you, that doesn't really change, you know, once you become a lawyer. So, you know, my partner and I started our firm soon after graduation and mentorship was absolutely essential um, to what we've been able to accomplish. I remember picking up the phone and just calling so many of my mentors so often that first year and just asking what had to be the most like basic entry level questions. And they always took the time to, you know, walk me through it and brainstorm it and, you know, now that I've been in practice for, you know, five, six-ish years, I've been able to, you know, provide that mentorship to people that are just starting out and, and the cycle kind of continues. But I absolutely agree with you. I couldn't stress enough how important it is to have, you know, as many mentors as you can and people that you feel comfortable, um, you know, talking to about questions that you have about you know, life or the practice of law or business or, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, you nailed on that. I remember when I was, before I was in law school, I actually, I went to you for mentorship too, Kevin. <laughs> um, I remember asking you advice on how to apply to law school and, and now, but I didn't see you as a network, right? I just saw you as a friend who could help me. And, and then I remember now I got in and now we just hang out and now we're going to, we're hanging out in Austin partying together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Things have, uh, things have uh, worked out for us. So well, let's talk a little bit about um, law school. Um, and so you said that you go to the University of Colorado. Uh, as you know, I went there as well. Great school. Um, what are some of your favorite uh, classes or subjects or kind of interests um, in law school? Yeah, sure. Um, my favorite classes, is, uh, it's probably a tie right now between family law and ethics. Um, ethics is not super legal, but it's just so interesting learning how lawyers work and how there's a lot of psychology with lawyers and how our system has these model rules that prevent lawyers from doing things that they've done in the past. <laughs> and, there's, uh, and it's interesting applying these model rules with general examples that we've all seen in the legal practice so far, just as second year law students, which is when you, you take ethics, you take the ethics as a second or third year. Yeah. Um, it's just so fascinating, and uh, and there's just a story for every single rule, <laughs> um, which is so just such a fun class. And you don't like there are readings, but you just kind of come to class, you just engage, you know. And uh, it's just a fun class to be to pay attention to. Um, yeah. My like, favorite class was uh, family law, which is super. I, I don't want to practice family law, but it's just it's just such an interesting class. And now I, I feel confident knowing if someone, if my friends was going through a divorce and I'm an attorney one day, <laughs> I could help them out. <laughs> I don't know. It's just super interesting. 
Right. Yeah. No, I actually agree with you. You know, ethics, uh, I actually had uh, at the time judge, but now Justice Gorsuch um, as my ethics professor. And it was really, really interesting, just like the way it makes you think. Um, Because, you know, I think there's some rules that are seem obvious, you know, obviously, like don't steal clients money. Um, But there are also a lot of much more complicated ones. Like, you know, you represent a client, you know, 10 years ago on a certain matter. Does that mean you can never, you know, be opposed to them in a future litigation? And uh, it's, it's something that, you know, I know CBA actually has an ethics hotline that I have actually called probably four or five times in my career to be like, I have no idea what the ethical response to this should be. Like, what do I need to do? And uh, thankfully, there are people uh, way smarter than me uh, that have uh, a great mind for the ethics and can kind of give you some advice. So if anyone's listening, I highly recommend taking advantage of the ethics hotline um, if you ever just need to chat about a situation that you don't um, don't know the answer to or just kind of confused. Also, another great reason to have mentors um, for, for kind of those ethics um, questions. So Johnny, outside of classes, um, now, I know you're super involved in the ABA, and we're going to get to that in a second. But other than classes and the ABA, uh, have there been any other activities or interests or events or things that you've done in law school that you found particularly interesting or entertaining? Yeah, sure. Um, probably the two big ones, and I'll hit on a couple of small ones. The two big ones is that one, I'm on the national mock trial team for my law school. Um, and mock trial is just so fun. I'm not super good at it, to be honest, but I just enjoy it so much. Um, and it's just playing with all the evidence rules and you get factor and feeling kind of like a lawyer, you know, going to court and stuff. And um, I've, I've competed and gone up and performed in front of federal judges before, which is something I never thought I'd do in law school. <laughs> um, right. It was just so fascinating. And, and these judges were super supportive and they came up and talked to me afterwards. And even though I did terrible, they told me I did a good job and <laughs> we, we just had drinks and stuff afterwards. It was just so cool. Um, and then, uh, I, the first and second year of law school, I was class president. Um, and then, uh, let's see, we, uh, I've been involved with, uh, the Marshall Brennan constitutional literacy project, which is a super cool program. It's, a uh, our, my entire cohort of law students who are involved in this program, we essentially teach constitutional law to some high schoolers and these high schoolers are in underserved, uh, communities of Colorado. And so the high school I got was uh, Thorne High School, where a lot of the students were on uh, free and reduced lunch. And the purpose of teaching them constitutional law was one, not just we were teaching them like know your rights type of stuff, but also um, hoping to inspire them to go to law school one day. Um, And about four or five of my students actually got to compete in this national mock trial competition, uh, along with like 60, 70 other high school students across the state, which I thought was super cool. That's great. Um, Is that the program that um, Justice Hart, I think, was super involved in? Yep. Justice Hart has ran that program for years, but this was actually the first year she didn't because now she's on the Supreme Court. Um, so Professor Matthew Cushing is now running it, and he, he's a really great guy and just a super good friend now. That's um, awesome. I also want to give a shout out to Mock Trial, uh, to any law students that are, are listening. Um, I, mock trial was arguably the, the most important thing I did in law school. And obviously I do litigation, so that may make sense. But I met my uh, future law partner as a 1L, uh, as a witness in the, the, fir- the first mock trial competition they had at, at CU that year. Um, and then he and I became mock trial partners and ended up becoming best friends and starting a law firm. Um, but yeah, it was really, really great experience. And we also, I remember our 1L year, um, we, 
made it to the finals of the internal kind of 1L competition for CU Law. And federal judge Arguella was our judge in the final round. And I remember calling her ma'am at some point during the round and she looked at me and was, Mr. Cheney, I am your honor <laughs> or the court, uh, but don't ever call me ma'am. And that was the last time we ever made that mistake. Uh, you know, it's good to kind of make those mistakes in fake trials than, you know, getting chastised in, in real life. That's pretty hilarious. I love Judge <laughs> So That's pretty funny that she did that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was great. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the ABA, the American Bar Association. I know that you are super involved in that, and you and I actually just were in Austin for the ABA mid-year uh, conference, which was excellent and met a lot of really cool people, but why don't we just kind of start at the beginning. What is the ABA, and why should young lawyers get involved? Yeah, sure. So the ABA, the American Bar Association, they are an association that represents the best interests of lawyers. And they have so many entities that do different things that help to support lawyers um, and law students. Um, and so why should young lawyers get involved? I think when I think going to law school, for me, I felt like there's a little, very little person going in because I was entering this gigantic community um, just at the right at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but then as I got involved in the ABA uh, law student division, you know, and I got to go to these conferences, I realized like this ABA is this whole greater thing that you could be a part of and being in a position of leadership there taught me that um, regardless of where you are in your legal profession, you can make an impact on the profession and, and the rule of law. Um, the ABA, I just feel like ever since I got involved, I felt like I was a part of something bigger and, you know, I've got to learn from so many amazing attorneys that I've met nationwide and understand the profession a lot more than what I understood in Colorado. Um, because in Colorado, you know, we, we have a great legal market here in Colorado, but it's actually relatively small compared to like the entire world. And we're just very different from a lot of other legal markets too. Um, like I've been meeting so many lawyers from like Louisiana and Texas and, uh, and in New York, and they just do things so differently from ours that when you understand how they do things, um, you just kind of understand the whole profession a lot better and you could talk to it. Um, and so I think, and you know, for young lawyers, it's a great place to build lifelong friendships too. There's so many, there's a young lawyers division that's just, that's filled with really amazing people from all, all over the country. And I'm glad to say I've made a lot of friends with young lawyers and, and I know that I can go to them for help if I ever needed it. And so, yeah, I, I, I encourage anybody to get involved with the ABA. And correct me if I'm wrong, but for any law students listening, are all law students across the nation automatically members of the ABA? Yep. So the ABA has two levels of membership for law students. If you are at an ABA accredited law school, you are automatically a member. Um, but then there's a premium membership. Uh, I think it's like $25 or something. And that gives you access to um, not just a bunch of like discounts with Barbie and Kumi and all that stuff, but it gives you access to a lot of scholarship resources, judicial opportunities and all that jazz. And uh, it gives you uh, a lot of impact. It allows you to step into leadership member or members of leadership. Uh, sorry, positions of leadership within the ABA law student division as well. Do you know how many uh, law students are members of the are, of the ABA? I know all of them, but I mean, is it 5,000, 10,000? Uh, of the premium members? Yeah, or no, just roughly, you know, how many law students are in the United States? Um, I've always been told 110,000, over 110,000. Wow. Um, 
And so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I never checked that number because it's always told me that. <laughs> it gets passed on and on and that's just become the accepted truth. Uh, yeah. So um, I, uh, I know that you were elected um, the, the chair of the law students division for the ABA. And I believe that you were the first person in Colorado history um, to ever hold that position and kind of oversee, um, you know, those law students. Um, tell us a little bit about your time as the national chair and, and what that was like. Yeah, sure. So it's it's really been life changing so far. Um, and it's been a great, it's just been such a great opportunity. And I feel super, 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 super lucky to be here. And sometimes it doesn't even register with me that I'm in this position because <laughs> it's just, uh, just hard to grasp. Um, but it came with a lot of responsibilities that uh, it's definitely the biggest leadership role I've ever had so far. And, you know, I had like thousands of law students coming to me with issues that they were facing. And um, it, it taught me a lot about um, leaving certain constructs that you had prior to going to law school and understanding issues across the country with law students. Because a lot of times law students just think of students in these urban areas who just go to big law firms. That's just the whole goal of law school. But really, you know, I met hundreds of law students who are from the Appalachians and from South Dakota who their only reason of going to law school was to continue giving legal services to their communities that really needed it. And um, going into law school, people worried so much about what rank your law school was and stuff. But, you know, working with law students, I met students from uh, law schools that are ranked like in the 150s and they were geniuses. They are so bright and they, they are making like huge impacts on the world. They're working on presidential campaigns and you know, all this stuff. And they don't care about the ranking of the schools because they want the legal education and, um, one of my f uh, friends who I met who's ranked at like a 160th law school, you know, he graduated and now he's working on um, a presidential campaign right now as like one of their national folks, you know, it's just, these are incredibly impressive people that um, taught me a lesson that, you know, going to law school isn't just about going to some big law firm and or trying to get some clerkship. There's so much that you can do with the law and law students across the world are just are doing it. And so, um, that's yeah, one you know, that's one thing I love about the ABA, and I have not been obviously nearly as involved as you have, but even just going to um, the mid-year uh, convention down in Austin, um, is you really appreciate the diversity of lawyers across the nation. You know, I, um, you know, here in Colorado, certainly not the, the world's most diverse state, uh, although I think our bar does a lot to try to increase that diversity, and so do the law schools. Um, but you go to a national conference and you meet people of such diverse backgrounds and different opinions and uh, different schools of thought um, and different experiences that, you know, really help contribute to um, this the beautiful, you know, tapestry that, you know, can be the law or, you know, legal thought uh, surrounding the law. And that's something that, you know, for me was probably the most impactful thing I took back from that conference was just seeing all the different types of lawyers from all over the country, um, you know, coming together and, and brainstorming ideas and things like that, which was just really, really fascinating in my opinion. For sure. And, you know, like lawyers in the States, they just, they're just so different from Colorado and it just really broadens your horizon. I was just working with um, one of the, the justices on uh, the Texas Supreme court on uh, this resolution we were working on. And he, I learned so much from him and I realized that he like their elections for the Supreme court are like elected, <laughs> um, yeah. not appointed like Colorado and they literally campaign and have social media accounts and fundraising packs and stuff, which yeah. is just so weird to see in, whereas here in Colorado, our Supreme court, all the justices keep such a low profile. <laughs> They're so it, is. 
It is really interesting, man. When we were down there, judges constantly were like trying to network with us and ask us for donations or the vote. And we we're like, we don't live here. Really? Oh, okay. But yeah, it is, it is interesting. Just the different, the different ways the legal system is set up. Um, so Johnny, I know um, that you're probably working on a bunch of different things um, when you were, uh, or during your time as the chair. Um, but I know that one of your main focuses was kind of focused on mental health and kind of bar applications um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you were doing and what you hope to accomplish? Yeah, sure. Um, so earlier on in my council, um, when we all got elected, we unanimously decided that we would prioritize mental health as our main policy issue that we want to focus on. Um, and the reason being is because, you know, student debt is always going to be talked about. Diversity is always going to be talked about. And I don't want to minimize those two areas, but, you know, mental health isn't talked about enough, especially in law school where there are so many constructs in law school that just really hamper onto a student's mental health that we just accept as a norm. Um, for example, like grades are just fluctuating, you know, and the peer pressure of where you rank in your, your class and the cold calling and just feeling like you're an idiot every day when you're really a genius, you know, <laughs> like there's just so many things that happen in law school that we just don't talk about enough and the strain on it. And we just tell these students to just toughen up, you know, this is law school. But like that shouldn't be a thing. We should address on how we should still challenge students to grow and be better, but not hamper on, you know, their mental health. And and I I think so many students have gone through this issue. And so, um, the Lawson Division want to uh, address it in a substantive way. And you know, something we noticed was like people are always just doing like yoga classes or meditation classes to address mental health. But like there needs to be more substance on how we address it. And so. Um, we broke it up into two things this, this year. Um, one was a uh, kind of a fundraiser and awareness project, and two was um, more of a substantive policy change that we were pushing. Um, the first one was uh, a fundraiser, mental health. It was just a kind of a fun t-shirt contest that any law student from ABA accredited university can submit their t-shirt designs. And then we would use this t-shirt design to uh, the winning design was a, a, a student from the University of Virginia. We use her t-shirt design to now sell these t-shirts across law firms and uh, lawyers across the state. And we've been fundraising a lot of money. And this fundraiser is going to run all the way to like August, I think. Um, and this, this all 100% of the proceeds are going to go to the Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs uh, for a fund that would directly support law, school, law student mental health funding. Um, That's really so, cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so we got the awareness piece on it where we sent it out to all the law schools and all the law students submitted designs and um, and then the fundraising part is is the collab. So um, and then the, the second part, the policy piece uh, that we did was um, in 2015, the ABA Commission on Lower Assistance Programs, they passed a resolution, which is a, a policy within the ABA, um, to encourage states to amend all the character and fitness questions of the bar exam uh, to remove questions addressing mental health. And some states, they have very probing questions like, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental health uh, uh, illness? And if you report yes, because you have to be honest, you know, you, they would, some states would follow up and ask for medical records. And it's just so, such a huge invasion of privacy. And, and the big, big fear is, you know, law students who know that those questions are on the bar exam, they'd be less inclined to go seek mental health help uh, and the barrier would just be created because they don't want to report it one day. And, and we want to encourage lawsuits to go seek help. Um, and so this policy push that we did, 
Um, we partnered with Harvard Law School and Columbia Law School to push a petition that got over thousands and thousands of signatures. And New York was one of the first states to adopt it as legislation to remove these types of questions uh, in, their um, in the character and fitness. And we're hoping that other states will follow through. Wow, that, that, that's really fascinating, you know, and obviously I, I had to answer that question, you know, when I was applying uh, for the bar, but, you know, you don't really think about how it really could have a chilling effect on um, law students seeking health treatment and, and law school, I mean, as you know, can be incredibly stressful and difficult. And so I, I really agree with you that we should be doing um, whatever we can to encourage people to seek mental health treatment if they need it. Um, rather than, you know, trying to say, if you do, then you may or may not be qualified to um, practice law. But what a, what a cool kind of journey, you know, from when you and I were talking about how to apply to law school to, you know, literally getting legislation and, and things changed in a state as big as New York. Um, it just kind of shows you uh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a journey you can make in just a short amount of time, I guess would be the best way to put that. Well, I have good mentors like you, Kevin. <laughs> I'll take all the credit. <laughs> um, so I, I know recently, uh, I believe that I know you're transitioning out of or have transitioned out of the chair role. Um, and now you're going to be on the, the law student rep for the Board of Governors uh, at the ABA. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Board of Governors is and kind of what they do? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my term for to chair the Lawson Division that ends in August. And then in August, I'll get sworn into the Board of Governors. And the Board of Governors is a 43 or 44 member um, executive board for the ABA. And they vote on matters of like, managing the $84 million budget to just all the general operations. And then I think they do some judicial recommendations as well to the federal courts. And so um, if people are following the uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh nominations, uh, the ABA made recommendations and then the Trump administration decided they don't want to get any recommendations from the ABA because there was some conflicts there. Um, and so I think I'll be a part of that as well. And the Board of Governors, we decide we vote on matters, um, a policy that the House of Delegates uh, would be voting on. It's, it's more like emerging policy. And so, for example, um, recently, uh, while in my roles on the Lawson Division, we were drafting an emergency resolution to allow limited practice for law students who are graduating this this and next, this and last year. Mm -hmm. um, and after we draft the resolution, we had to send it to the ABA Board of Governors for approval. Um, so the ABA Board of Governors is the the people who give the final stamp on big ABA policies and programs. Um, yeah. So they they kind of uh, run the show, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, I want to shift uh, to our, our kind of our final topic for today. Um, this is because of the kind of the nature of the podcast, we kind of shoot episodes uh, a little bit in advance of their release. And so this is the first episode that we have shot um, in the time of coronavirus. And so I just kind of want to talk a little bit about how that has impacted, um, you know, this year of law school and kind of how it'll maybe impact the profession going forward. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how COVID-19 has made this semester of law school different um, and kind of what that has looked like? Yeah, um, yeah. so COVID-19 certainly made a huge effect on all law students and, and, and law student grads as well. Um, I'll break it down by year because it impacts, I think, different years differently. Um, for 1Ls, you know, it's rough on them because they – 
are finishing their second semester of law school online pass fail and I think a lot of people can agree your first year of law school is just really the foundation of everything. You learn everything that you need to know about being a lawyer in that year. Really like all the base, like the base level of law. That's what I mean. Right. Um, and so now that's online and students are doing the oral arguments online uh, for their legal writing class. Um, and they're also about to enter on campus interviews in the fall with only one semester of grades, which is, which is so uh, unfortunate because it doesn't give them the opportunity to show improvement. Um, and, you know, my first semester of law school, my grades were not that great, and, but I was able to bounce back my second semester. And I think that was really uh, impactful when I went through my interviews. Um, but I just feel bad for the law students uh, that year who will not get that opportunity because our classes went past fail with our grading, mm-hmm. um, just as most law schools did. Uh, and then for second year law students, um, I'm in this boat, you know, a lot of us are losing our summer associate positions. And, uh, and my, my, my law firm, they're a big national law firm, um, and they gave me an email mid-April saying they were canceling their summer program. <laughs> and so I, uh, it was a real huge shock because, you know, when you get that summer associate program, you feel like you have some trajectory in, in like in job security. But when that gets stripped away from you a month before the summer is going to start, less than a month, you know, you just feel totally thrown off and you don't know what to do now. And right now I'm currently unemployed this summer. (laughs) Um, And no one's hiring right now, you know. Um, This guy's great. Get this man a job. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, this is my plug to get a job. (laughs) For all the lawyers listening. Um, But yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, You know, a lot of these, a lot of 2Ls in the, in their three hour year, you're going to have to go on a big job hunt now, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, the trigger just thrown off. And then uh, for three L students, they are facing it the worst, really. They lost their graduation. Some law schools uh, are not even like rescheduling it. Uh, they're just canceling outright or doing some Zoom graduation, which I don't think is acceptable, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and, you know, and they, on the day that it got announced that classes were going to go online, you know, they just said, I guess this is goodbye. And they just said goodbye to their friends, you know, on that day. And some didn't even get to say goodbye because their friends weren't even there at school that day. And that was just the end of their law school. And, you know, yeah, classes did continue on zoom, but that day felt like the last day of school, you know? Right. Um, And it was just super sad for these guys who worked so hard um, throughout three years just to get school canceled on their last month of law school ever. Um, and no, now they don't have a graduation and now their bar exams at risk too, where they might not be able to take the bar exam. It's postponed or canceled. Yeah, I think I was trying to find out t- today as I was doing some research, I still don't think they know like whether they're going to be taking it or whether it's going to be postponed or at least that was my understanding from what I could find out that there still hasn't even made a, been a decision made. Yeah. Uh, Colorado hasn't made a decision yet. Um, but you know, I'm really glad that uh, a lot of leaders in Colorado um, on the bar exam board, uh, including my boss, Justice Hood. So he's listening, give him a shout out. Um, he actually, they actually adopted um, the resolution that we passed or a form of the resolution that we passed to um, approve limited practice, you know, and the hopes of that would be, it's not full on diploma privilege where you just graduate and you're a lawyer, you know, it's right. limited practice where if, as long as you're supervised, you could practice law. Um, with certain with a long list of restrictions that's listed out. Right. Um, well, that's great. That you guys were able to do that. I mean, I, 
I think back to my 3L year and you're exactly right. You know, the graduation piece was such an important moment, you know, probably more important than my high school or, or college graduations where it really felt like, you know, this is it. Now I'm entering the real world. Now I'm an adult. And to not have that, you know, I just, it's really, really sad. And I know that a ton of people are impacted and, um, you know, I'm sure there are professions more impacted than, than the law, but it is still such a, a body blow to not have that kind of ending celebration that um, hopefully they'll be able to figure something out uh, that, you know, works for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, losing graduation, it, it hurts every student, don't get me wrong, but I think there's, it hits first generation students a little differently too <laughs> in that um, first generation students, you know, they're the first in their family to ever go to high school, college, and then law school. Um, and this was the big moment for them to carry the weight of their entire family to show their entire family that they can do it, you know? after being told their whole life, they're the first ones in their entire family ever. And that's when graduation was, is the moment where, you know, a lot of these parents don't know what they're doing in law school because they don't understand it, but then they just understand the graduation ceremony. Right. And right. They get that taken away from them and they don't have something to show their parents that they finished, you know, if that makes sense. Right. No, it does. I mean, that I hadn't really even thought about that. How, how much, I guess, kind of deeper and impactful that ceremony could be to, um, families that necessarily haven't really experienced that, um, yeah. before and kind of that, that rewarding, um, do you have any thoughts? And I guess, you know, as a law student, you may not, you know, know, I guess a ton about this, about how coronavirus may impact the, the legal profession, um, kind of going forward. And, and what I mean by that is obviously we're going to be in a recession. So, um, certain areas of, of law are are going to have you know a lot more clients uh, thinking about bankruptcy and things like that, um, and other areas of law are probably going to be um, you know hurting for a little bit. Uh, do you have any thoughts, or have you had any discussions uh, you know with career counselors or anything like that of where you think the legal profession is is kind of going to be going in the short term? Um, I mean. I recognize my leadership role, but I'm still only a second year law student. You know, you're right. Bankruptcy, employment law, those are going to get a lot of business. Um, trajectory of the legal profession, you know, I just hope that, I don't know. I, you know, I think it's really important to focus on just being resilient during this time and it's going to suck. And I don't think that's something we should not address. Like it's, it's just going to suck. Um, right. But, you know, when I lost my job, I talked to a lot of my mentors, you know, and they said, this is just another test of resilience that you have to go through that got you as far as they did as you, as uh, you've been so far. And a lot of my mentors who graduated around the 2008, 2010 and uh, area, they told me they took unpaid work as much as they could. And even though it was difficult to afford um, with crippling loan, <laughs> student loans and bills to pay, you know, they, they took the unpaid work, which eventually led to paid work. Right. Um, you know, I think that's right. I had uh, Todd Rogers on, uh, who you know is the uh, Associate Dean of Career Development. He was actually our guest for episode two, and we shot that before Corona was really even a thing or had really picked up steam. Um, and, you know, he was talking about how the lessons from 2008, 2009, 2010 are still very fresh in his mind. Um, and, you know, hopefully people will be able to, you know, find those mentors who went through that in 08 when people were graduating where, you know, less than half of maybe even the graduates were getting jobs. 
And, you know, they all had to get really creative and come up with some really interesting ways to, you know, stay relevant and stay active in, in, in the job hunt. And um, thankfully, we, we have gotten better since then. Um, and hopefully this recession will um, be uh, quick. And hopefully those people will be able to kind of mentor the people going through it now and saying, look, I know it seems really, really scary and dire, but you know, this is what I did and you are going to get through it. You're going to find a job and you're going to find that success. Um, so hopefully that'll be a thing. Another, another plug for mentors. This has really turned into a, a really pro mentor podcast today, uh, but I can't stress that enough how important that can be. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you nailed it on the head. And I just really encourage law students who are listening to this, you know, and, and are going through similar things as me, you know, like take the time to grieve, like it, it sucks, <laughs> like it hurts, something you never expected, but then don't be afraid to, you know, reach out for help and just continue to stay resilient and uh, just do whatever you can to stay relevant. So. Yeah, and I'm going to take this time to, to plug um, a lot of the online content that is being created um, even over the last like month or two. Um, CBA YLD has got some CBA as a whole. I'm sure the ABA does. There are webinars and virtual Zoom meetings and CLEs on pretty much any legal topic that exists. Um, a lot of them are free um, or very, very cheap. And um, if you're like me, you've got a little extra time on your hands, especially on weekends and stuff where there really isn't anything to do. And so if you're a law student or a young lawyer, um, you know, worried about where you're going to find employment, um, it may be beneficial to, you know, jump on a few bankruptcy webinars and see what it is, see if it's something that you're interested in or, you know, other types of law that, you know, may be booming and it may require a little bit of uh, expanding what you thought you would be doing uh, for a career, but um, really take advantage of a lot of the content that so many different legal organizations are um, making right now because you know that's going to be the people that kind of get through it the fastest are people willing to adapt and people willing to um, you know think outside the box and um, do you know if the is the ABA producing I know the ABA's convention is actually going virtual which is awesome um, but are they, have there been a lot of like content or CLEs or things like that kind of been pushed out? Um, I'm not sure. Cause I just got the announcement that I was going to go virtual. So I, I don't really know much about it either. Um, right. I, I assume, I mean, we've always had virtual CLEs, right? You know, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it doesn't surprise me if they do it um, virtually here as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what's going to be really difficult is uh, at the ABA annual meeting, I'm supposed to, run a giant assembly of like 400 law students and have them vote on a lot of policy. So I don't know, I'm going to do that over zoom, but oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. That will, that will absolutely be fun over zoom. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Johnny. Uh, and it was a, a real pleasure uh, speaking with you as always. And um, I think, like I said, I think you've got a really uh, fascinating story. And I think you've got a lot to, um, you know, teach other uh, law students about some of these great organizations that, um, I really, really encourage everyone to um, get involved in. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I hope you and your family stay uh, safe and healthy uh, during these crazy times. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. All right. Have a wonderful day, Johnny. Thanks. See you. Get legal with it.